This is Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about Mi'kmaq people, politics, land and water. I'm Glenn Wheeler. This is episode 195. Thanks for your support via patreon.com and email transfer mi'kmaq.matters at gmail.com. This week, our continuing coverage of the Halibu First Nation election for chief and council. Later, we'll be hearing from Darcy Butler, candidate for Stephenville Ward. But first, some information about an important upcoming Mi'kmaq Matters event, the Mi'kmaq Matters debate between the four candidates for chief, October 12th at 7 p.m. in Cornerbrook, location to be announced and streamed live on Facebook. Brenda Mitchell, Odell Pike, Jeff Sparks, and Peggy White will engage on the issues important to Halibut members as we cast our votes later this month, October 12th at 7 p.m. Stay tuned to our Facebook page for details. Some of you may have been present for our panel discussion in Stephenville on September 23rd on the issues facing Bay St. George and how Halibut is and in many cases, is not dealing with them. One of those issues is addictions. Available evidence suggests that Bay St. George is among the hardest-hit regions of the province. But the problem is under-discussed, and the suffering continues without much in the way of response. That's one of the issues I discussed this week with Darcy Butler, candidate for Stephenville Ward. With outgoing Ward Councillor Odell Pike running for chief, The ward is up for grabs, and Darcy Butler is facing off against Hayward Young. By the way, we invited Hayward Young to participate, but received no response to our invitation. We welcome to Mi'kmaq Matters Darcy Butler, candidate for Stephenville Ward in the Halibu First Nation election. Welcome, Darcy. Great, Glenn. Nice to uh, be chatting with you. Um, So just uh, for the information of listeners, you are uh, the chief instructor in the cooking programs at Bay St. George campus of College of the North Atlantic, which I mean, which means, I guess, that everyone wants to get a supper invitation to your place. Yeah, I, uh, I do get a lot of people asking about my cooking and uh, <laughs> it's been a source of pride. I remember actually a couple of years ago when the Grand Council was over from Nova Scotia, and uh, I got pulled aside by Odell Pike and she'd give me a heads up ahead of time. She's like, the grand counselor coming. I want you to do some special stuff. And then when the meal was actually happening, she made me sit down and she said with great pride, she goes, we have our own chef here locally. Mm. So, and uh, I remember, yeah, my, I think uh, you put a, you put a Mi'kmaq spin on that, uh, on that meal. Well, I do that with a lot of my meals. It's been uh, something I really started doing a few years ago. And I've been lucky enough to, to meet some indigenous chefs from across the country who so really become an inspiration for myself. Uh, you know, I was trained in classical French cooking. I'm actually teaching in the same cooking program that I was a student in back in 1994. Wow. Uh, you know, and I spent a, a lot of years working at various hotels and restaurants on the mainland. 
and then came back and realized we had just these great, wonderful ingredients here uh, and things that I'd grown up eating with, eating my whole life, but wanting to really celebrate these ingredients. Yes. Uh, so I try and take the, you know, two years ago when we had the initial Sweetgrass Festival here locally, uh, and they, they did an opening for the art exhibit. And I did a huge big spread where I basically put indigenous spins on a bunch of foods that most people are really well known to other people. Uh, so, and I've since started a YouTube channel. I've done, I've done the same thing there. So people can find your recipes on, on Facebook, if they're curious yeah. about some of your creations, uh, there are yeah, and some so, of those. Uh, and I remember that one of your, uh, meals had a, uh, an element, uh, spruce needles. Uh, I think that might've been Spruce tips. Yeah. Spruce mm-hmm. tips are one of my favorite ingredients to work with. Uh, I love to get out there and harvest those in the spring of the year when they're nice and tender. It just uh, they, you know, I use them in, in place of rosemary, basically. Mm. Now you're uh, the candidate in Stephenville Ward, which has uh, about 3,400 voters. Uh, in your calculations, the third largest ward, so a, sub- a substantial ward for Halibut. and um, you've been uh, no doubt meeting uh, meeting voters. And what what have you been hearing? What do they bring up when you're in conversation with uh, our people? One of the big issues, and you know, and I'm not, I don't bring this up to knock Odell because Odell has been, you know, she's been doing a yeoman's work uh, in terms of indigenous work, is that there's been a difficulty in connecting with the ward councillors. Now, I think part of that in the last couple of years, obviously, COVID has made it a, a challenge for it. And, but like I say, the fact is, is Odell, and she, I think she would be the first to admit she has had her fingers in a lot of pies and that a lot of groups have had to rely on her and they're looking for a connection. They want to be able to reach out and know that they can contact their ward counselor when they need to be able to speak to them because there's a lot of issues. And, you know, yes, the enrollment comes up, certainly, and that's been an issue. But I think for, a lot, you know, there are a lot of our members who have their enrollment and they don't know about some of the programming that's available. They have found the communication between Halibut and the members themselves has really been lacking. You know, they send out the weekly newsletter and that talks about the things that have been happening, uh, you know, the small things, but there's still a lot of people who are not aware of the programs themselves are available. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely been an issue. One of the things that you <laughs> propose to, de- to deal with that issue is to have a dedicated office for the ward counselor. So Halibu does have a facility, an office in Stephenville. And so you want, uh, do you want a desk or do you want a, uh, a private office so you could interview, talk to people if they come in with a, a sort of more confidential issue what did what did you have in mind in that regard yeah and that's it's not like i need to have a private office and things like that but i do think there needs there should be a space available in each ward where there is a dedicated phone at the very least with voicemail you know it would be nice if there's a private space now it doesn't have to be one that's dedicated because the fact is is the ward counselor positions these are part-time positions most of us many of the people have full-time jobs and things like that but if there's a space where we know that we can go to so that people can meet us there. And, you know, I, I brought this up uh, when, you know, with, I was speaking with Greg James recently. I, I could very easily make my home address and my home phone number available to people. And that would serve them really well through my term. But I have a tendency of looking at what's good for the position and not necessarily the person occupying the position. 
So what happens if in, then after the next election, I'm no longer the ward councillor, and now the, the, the members don't know who to reach out to anymore? If there's a dedicated office, if there's a dedicated phone number that the person occupying the position gets to use, then that phone number doesn't have to change following election. Then that address doesn't have to change. And those residents, those members, and we need to remember, this is all about the members. They now know where to go. Mm. So they can and, then show and, up and whether it's me or someone else, they can reach their counselor. Yeah. And it could be, uh, of course, these days you could have, uh, there could be just a cell phone that is transferred from one counselor to another if the position changes. So the, you, you wouldn't need a, you know, a landline at that desk. And I suppose you could have um, office hours every last Saturday of the month from noon to two o'clock, whatever. Exactly. And I'm fortunate that I work in a position where I actually, I know I'm not normally scheduled to work on Fridays. So I know I can take a, you know, a two or three hours every Friday and be guaranteed that my people can reach out to me. Mm. And I think that gives a great assurance because the fact is, is that we have a lot of members who are older. They're not comfortable with using technology. They don't want to be using Skype. They don't want to be sending email. They want to have that face-to-face -face interaction with people. And that's been my greatest connection with, you know, the people that I'm getting out to. And I, like everybody, I'm campaigning on Facebook. But I find when I actually take the time to speak to someone, you know, I've been out there hammering in some signs in yards, and I always take the time to knock on the door and speak to the people and have that conversation with them. And that's what they're craving. Mm -hmm. Now, another thing I wanted to ask you about is an issue that came up in the Mi'kmaq Matters uh, panel discussion in Stephenville on uh, September the 23rd, and that is, is the issue of uh, addictions in the Bay St. George area, Stephenville, Stephenville Crossing. Yeah. And uh, according to the, uh, to the information we got from the Swap Needle Exchange in Cornerbrook, the number of clean needles being sent out to Bay St. George is disproportionate to population. Um, yes. So that um, suggests that uh, there's an issue there. And I, I think we have anecdotal evidence from people who say that, you know, it's hard to not know a family that has not been affected by, by addictions. It's um, a pervasive issue that is under discussed. Um, so what, um, what have you been hearing from people uh, about that issue? It, it said uh, there was a death in our community actually just a couple of days ago. I saw that. You know, yes. uh, I, I won't go into details, but there was a young man, 21 years old, who died from using cocaine that had been laced with fentanyl. You know, so this is a, a bright light loss in our community. 21 years old. Yeah. Uh, and it's sad, but none of that. You know, my sister works in mental health and addictions work. And I see the struggle that she's going through because the number of suicides that she's had to deal with. And oftentimes these are people who have severe addiction issues because they're not getting the help they need. I live right on Main Street in Stephen Mill Crossing. I see the people, I know who they are, who have the problems. Uh, you know, we see street prostitution from people who are trying to, you know, feed their addictions. And again, you know, I actually, it was one day I drive frequently. I live in Stephenville Crossing. I work in Stephenville. And you see a lot of hitchhikers. I know when I was younger, I hitchhiked 
between Steed Mill and Steed Mill Crossing. It's a pretty common form of transportation. And I sort of paying back the ride. So I picked up this one young woman who was hitchhiking. And within 30 seconds of her getting into her into my vehicle, she told me straight up that she had an opioid addiction and that she was working as a prostitute and she propositioned me. Now I declined. I, you know, I, I did not want to be participatory in that. I had no idea who this person was. This was just another person who was looking for a ride. I was just trying to be a helpful person. But she flat out told me that she had an opioid addiction and that she was just simply trying to make a bit of money to help her family. That is really sad to me. It's, it's horrible that someone would have to go to that depth. And I think we need it needs to be addressed. You know, we have the highest rate of addictions around here. And I truly firmly believe that a lot of it has to do with intergenerational trauma, that loss of culture, and that we need to start celebrating our culture and getting back to who we are so that we can address this as a problem because this is not a problem that's unique to the Bay St. George region. If you look across Canada, in indigenous communities, this is a pattern that has repeated itself over and over and over again. That and, and one of the points that you made in your conversation with Greg James is that in the Bay St. George area, we've had multiple cultural dislocations. First people yeah. were, were Mi'kmaq and the Europeans arrived, and then there was uh, a French Mi'kmaq uh, community. And then, of course, the English moved in, and it was not cool to be French. So the Lejeunes became Youngs and the LeBlancs became Whites. And so the there was... A, yeah, and they had no choice in the matter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they had no choice. People were showing up to census and the government were telling them, we're changing your name. Right? Like this is mandated. This was, you know, this is, again, it's just another form of cultural genocide where people's language or culture were being taken away from them. And that shakes you to the core that, you know, you start questioning your own value then as an individual if you do some research into addictions, you'll see that that is often, you know, it's that sense of loss, that sense of loneliness, that you don't matter, that there's no value in who you are. And people need to be able to fill that void. And that's what often leads them to addiction. So an approach to addictions then in the Stephenville, Stephenville Crossing, Basin, George area must be informed by that history. So it's um, the addictions approach must must know who the people are and must understand that intergenerational trauma. And you've talked about, um, and other people have talked about having a treatment center, a treatment facility in that area. And what what would that look like in your in your vision? Well, again, I know people who've attended the Homewood program uh, or Humberwood, sorry, in Cornerbrook, and that's a very basic three week program that doesn't really, it's not long enough to actually address the issues. <clears throat> I think we need to recognize that there are medical aspects to the addictions. So we would need properly trained medical people who can deal with the physical side of it. And to some extent, the mental side of it. But I think it, having it rooted in cultural aspects as well. So giving people opportunity to reconnect with their culture and gaining a sense of who they are and giving them a sense of purpose would is going to go a long way. I, you know, I shared an article. I do have a Facebook page for my campaign 
and very early on, it just was timely about a treatment facility that's out west, out in Alberta, on a reserve out there. And it's a six week program, minimum six week program. And sometimes some of the people stay for eight weeks and longer. And they're taking them out on the land and they're giving them skills and they're giving them a sense of pride again in who they are. And having that sense of pride makes you feel valuable and you have less of a need then for that addiction, whether the addiction is you know, drugs or alcohol or shopping or whatever the addiction is. You know, addiction can take many forms. Gambling can take many forms because you're looking for that dopamine hit. And that if we can give these people a sense of purpose and get them away, get them removed a little bit so they, they have that time and the space to actually heal the way they need to. You know, I've gone through some struggles my own self. And I tell you, attending drumming circles and going into sweat lodges and things like that did huge wonders for me as a person and helped me to grow and helped me to overcome some issues that I was dealing with. And what would be the halibut angle here? Or do you see a halibut angle? Because um, currently uh, health and halibut is mostly... Uh, managing non-insured health benefits, which are very important. Of course, people get their their uh, pharmaceuticals and their medical transportation, all very important stuff, but it seems to be an NIHB-specific approach to health. So is there a yeah. larger mandate for Halibut in this area? Yeah, uh, and I'll be honest, you know what? I don't have all the answers on that right now. I know it's happening elsewhere. I don't believe we need to reinvent the wheel. If there are other First Nations that are doing it across the country. There has to be a system in place. You know, I, I wanna be able to get in there and see what we can do. Now, I do think, you know, a treatment facility like that can be part of a larger program. So one of the places I've suggested is the Camp, camp Ashanti in, in uh, Black Duck Siding. You know, it was a beautiful Boy Scout camp, but the Boy Scouts have all been become defunct in Western Newfoundland. And I don't believe the Boy Scouts use that much anymore. And that, that can become an opportunity to build a facility there that actually celebrates our culture. So whether Halibut is simply there as a landlord, whether they are there to employ people to administer the programs themselves and actually have staff that are part of the Halibut staff uh, that are there to help work with the people, I don't know yet. But I do think that Halibut has a responsibility of addressing this issue and helping their members and provide, you know, right now they provide uh, income support. They, you know, they have a variety of different programs for people who are struggling to make, make ends meet through the winter. So there is money available to help people in their troubled times. This is a significant trouble. So they need to be able to find the resources, the, the economics at the, the economic resources at the very least to be able to help these people because they are just as important as anyone else in our band. Um, good, Darcy. Uh, just before we go, uh, how about your, how's the campaign going? I've heard from some candidates that um, you don't get very much information from uh, the official sources in ter- to help you reach the, the voters. So how, how are, what, what do you get? I guess you just get. Uh, yeah, that, and, that's uh, a struggle for sure. We simply get a list of names. There's not even an identification in terms of which community they live in within the ward. So 
for myself, it's really just been getting out there and talking to people and then asking them if there's anyone that they feel I should talk to. Mm. So I've been fortunate in that, you know, I've been, I'm a strong community member. I, I get out and I attend community events. I volunteer at events where I can. So I'm lucky that a lot of people know who I am. I'm, you know, I'm a relatively easy person to approach, I think. So I've been fortunate and, you know, like many other people is, uh, they, uh, I'm running a Facebook campaign, we'll say, but I've, so I've had people reaching out to me through Facebook and saying, okay, you know what, here's my mother's address or here's my mother's phone number. Why don't you give her a call? Cause she's not on Facebook and she'd love to be able to chat with mm. you. And she's really open to having a sign come in. Or I've, I've been fortunate that I've had people approach me on the street and talk to me about that, which then leads to another conversation, another conversation. And I'm trying to engage in what they refer to as retail politics as much as possible. Hmm. You know, I want to get out there. I want to hear from people. I, I'm not trying to stand up and say that I have every solution. I don't. Uh, I would be the last person to say that I do. But I think I'm good at doing is listening to people and then taking their ideas and taking their problems and going finding the solutions. You know, I've been teaching now for 14 years. And one of the things I tell my students all the time is I don't have most of the answers, but I'm really good at finding out who does. And I'll go and I'll find that answer for you. You know, I, I don't want to make a, I will never make a promise on something I can't keep. And uh, so that's, that's been my whole approach. And I think people are finding it really refreshing because I'm not making promises on something that I can't follow through on. I think people are tired of hearing that from politicians. And let's be honest, you know, when you're running for a ward councillor position or for a vice chief position, it's politics. And I'm trying to take a different approach to politics. Good, Darcy. Well, great to talk to you. Um, thanks for stepping forward and being a candidate. And um, best of luck out on the campaign trail. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate the opportunity to, to chat with you. And at the end of the day, I just want people to get out there and vote. I would be happier for someone to vote for my competition than to not vote at all, because mm. I think people need to engage in the system and to have their say. Darcy Butler, candidate for Stephenville Ward in the Halibut First Nation election. We also invited Hayward Young to participate, but he did not reply. And that's it for the program. Stay tuned for details on the Mi'kmaq Matters debate of the four candidates for chief, October 12th at 7 p.m. in Cornerbrook and live on Facebook. Allison Baker is the producer of Mi'kmaq Matters. Support our work via patreon.com forward slash Mi'kmaq Matters. I'm Glenn Wheeler, Emsit Nokomah.